it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, July 27, 2015. Yes, I'm on the road, and yes, I'm going to actually try to make this uh, as close to a normal episode as possible. We'll see how this works. Trying something new. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we actually take the time to, you know, open up our Bibles check things in context, use sound biblical hermeneutics to check the messages of the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, and folks like that who are put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose sermons we need to be downloading, whose, well, small group Bible studies we need to be employing in our small group Bible studies to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says, or if they're teaching, well, things that they ought not to be teaching, things that are not in accord with sound doctrine, things that do not square with what God's Word says, and uh, as a result of it, they're, you know, well, teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. Now, let's talk about what we're going to do today. Uh, I'm on the road, so believe it or not, I'm actually recording today's episode of Fighting for the Faith in... uh, in a hotel room. We'll see if this works. We have uh, we're, we've been experimenting with a, a, a road travel kit, if you would, and uh, I'm hoping that all things will work out here, and this will be a semi-normalish episode of Fighting for the Faith. Now, what we're going to do first is we're going to begin with a TD Jakes update, and we're going to just kind of focus on uh, a recent message that he's uh, played entitled Destiny flocks together destiny flocks together and i don't even think he attempts in uh, in this episode of his television program which by the way is his preaching over at the potter's house um i don't even think he's making any effort whatsoever to preach the bible and uh, and so we'll listen to that um then we'll listen to a little bit of uh, nicole crank uh, from her latest sermon over at faithchurch.com. They just recently got back from Europe, and uh, she's got a sermon that she's got posted entitled, You Got a Dirty Mind. You Got a Dirty Mind. And then we'll switch gears altogether. We'll take a break somewhere in there. We'll switch gears, and then we have a Stephen Furtick update. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, I posted uh, three of my recent sermons, and one of the sermons was on the story of uh, the woman with the issue of blood, and uh, and then uh, the raising of Jairus's daughter. They're all combined into one text from the Gospel of Mark. Well, Stephen Furtick has um, decided he's going to preach sort of, kind of-ish on, th- well, that text in particular, but he's talking about the importance of kind of, you know, getting distractions out of your life, and so we'll listen to him. And then in hour number two, we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to do a sermon review. 
Um, over the past last week, I interviewed three different people on three different occasions, and uh, the first interview is with a with a gal who's named Elizabeth. Now, I'm not going to put her uh, last name up on the internet, but uh, she recently wrote a series of articles over at Hillsong Church Watch, where she talks about her time in a mega church in Oslo, Norway. And um, and then that church was, well, you can almost say kind of in a mergers and acquisitions kind of way, um, merged with, bought up, gobbled up, um, you know, taken over by uh, Hillsong. And uh, so we'll talk about that. And I find it to be a fascinating interview. And, you know, I didn't invite her on because I agree with everything she says theologically, but I invited her on to, you know, to tell us about her story and I'm going to link to uh, her her story in written form so that you can get more details at the Fighting for the Faith website. And that will be available when the podcast is posted. So that's what we're going to be doing today. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We do have a lot of ground to cover. And since we're going to begin with a money-grubbing televangelist update, that requires us to do this. Don't want no love don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce. Hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. Elder Narrow, want to be a millionaire. Give, Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shackles. Give me pesos. Let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Want to get me a suit that's made out of oot. And whistle the wearing in green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. And it's some I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. money. All right, that's our uh, Dr. Teeth Money, Money, Money song we use uh, for money-grubbing televangelists. We actually have a couple of uh, pieces of music we use for those types of updates. Now, what we're going to be listening to is a recent message, uh, which you can find over at YouTube, uh, T.D. Jakes's uh, YouTube channel there, uh, from the Potter's Touch television program, which, of course, is uh, a broadcast of the preaching ministry of uh, Potter's... Uh, the, <clears throat> I almost want to say the Potter's Field, but... <laughs> The Potter's House over uh, it. Who is he in Dallas, Fort Worth, that area? But uh, so the name of the message is called "Destiny Flocks Together," and I don't even think T.D. Jakes is making any effort whatsoever to actually preach God's word. But I'm going to let him explain and set up what it is that you're about to hear. Here's T.D. Jakes to explain um, the, the the message that we are going to be listening to very shortly. Here we go. What a blessing it is to be blessed of the Father, to be able to touch and throw our arms around his children, his lovely children, all different, all different shapes, sizes, personalities. The body of Christ is so diverse, but God loves us all. I'm so excited because I'm sharing down a path that God has had me on for 2015, teaching about... I'm sharing about a God that pa- a path that God has me on, excuse me. So, uh, in in other words, in this setup for this uh, thing that we're going to be listening to, he's claiming that God has him down this path for 2015. And so this is a message that really God told him to share with everybody. It's weird because Scripture says the job of a pastor is to, you know, 
preach the word in season, out of season. We continue. Destiny. I've written a book about destiny. I've taught a series on destiny, destiny steps. And this particular message is called Destiny Flocks Together. It is so much easier to hang out with people that are headed somewhere than it is to drag people who just want to roost on the wire. And headed somewhere, you mean like, you know, heaven or hell? About other people who do. Our spiritual, financial, emotional, marital life should all be intact and in sync. When we flock together, when we flow together, we're all better together than we are apart. Take a look at this and be blessed. All right, so let's see if you're blessed by this particular message, which I don't even think makes any attempt to, you know, bring Scripture to bear. Here we go. I want you to take one hand and put it, put your thumb on your wrist right here, like this. Press your thumb in. He's having people take their own pulse, which, by the way, you're not supposed to take your pulse with your thumb. You're supposed to take it with your two fingers, your index finger and your middle finger from your opposite hand. Yeah, if you take your pulse with your thumb, you're going to get an inaccurate reading. And the reason why is because your thumb has its own pulse. Grew up in a medical family, you know. And feel it. Destiny has a pulse. Yeah, there you go. Say, everyone, take your pulse. Oh, look at that. Destiny has a pulse. Oh, this is so profound. It's it's so deep. It's unfathomable. You know, this is nonsense. The power of the pulse sustains everything that God has assembled together. The the power of the pulse? Really, where in Scripture does it talk about the sustaining power of the power of the pulse? Not familiar with those texts. (laughs) You didn't see the beauty of what I just said. There was no beauty in it. It's just rank heresy. Of the pulse controls everything that God has assembled together. You see this right here? You see this right here? This is what God has assembled together. From the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, he has assembled this together. And he has assembled it together, but it is sustained, it is delivered by the pulse. The same. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Because I thought the pulse was a measurement of the heart beating. So wouldn't the heart be keeping things going? It's not your pulse that's doing that. It's. Um, yeah, it would be your heart. Thing that you feel up here, you'll feel right here. You'll feel right here. The common thread in the assembly that makes it have one accord is not being in one place because you can be in one place and not be with one accord. <laughs> uh, what? Yeah, notice he's exegeting. I don't know what he's exegeting. You know, something to do with your body, but uh, I'm not learning anything about what Scripture says. Not hearing anything about Jesus either. Isn't that weird? To be with one accord is to have the same pulse. Destiny had the pulse. We were on the phone last night. We were we we were on the on the phone texting, and I had about five or six of my staff people night before last and and it was about this sounds terrible but it was about 
after midnight or something. We got on this real hot idea, and we were texting back and forth, and, and, and every, nobody could sleep. We were all excited. We were all excitement, and everybody started talking about, oh, I love the energy, the energy, the energy. Look at this, and if we did this, we could do that. I wonder what it was. Somebody said, I know this. I can call this one, bring them in. And we were texting back and forth. There's an energy. I learned there's an energy. There's an energy I have to have around me. There's an energy. So, so, okay, so you learn there's an energy that you have to have around you because you were texting with some people on your staff. Right. I mean, that's where I generally learn my most important spiritual lessons is, you know, while texting people. There's an energy I have to have around me. There's energy. I'm telling you, I'm telling you the God's the truth. I don't know about you, but I got to have an energy around me. When I get with somebody that doesn't have my energy. Yeah, that, that can't be good. You don't want to be around somebody who doesn't have your energy, right? Yeah, because God, you know, warns us about things like that in... in um, well, he doesn't actually warn us about anything like that in the Bible. What is he talking about? It literally feels like torture. See, if, if my pulse drops, I pass out. Yeah, that, that generally happens, yes. And so this has some significance for my life in what way? I mean, maybe just to avoid, you know, having low blood pressure, that would be a bad thing, you know? Don't change my rhythm. <laughs> and they're eating this up. If you change my rhythm, you kill my creativity. Oh, no. If you change my rhythm, you kill my creativity. Gasp, that just sounds terrible. Oh, y'all don't hear what I'm saying to you. Yeah, I'm hearing what you're saying, and it's utter nonsense. You, 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 you got to have my rhythm. I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to have your rhythm, but if we are going to walk together, we got to have agreements. Agreement is more than direction of where we're going. Agreement is in the cadence of our walk. Uh-huh. And where are you getting this from exactly? Even if we agree about the destination, but we don't have the same pulse, we cannot walk together, say we agree, right foot, left foot, right foot, left. You can't walk with me if you change the rhythm. Well, you know, my wife, my wife and I, we go on walks, you know, when it's uh, there's nice weather up in our area. And uh, she has, like, long legs, and I'm kind of short and overweight. But uh, but we don't have the same rhythm when we walk. And uh, we're, we're capable of walking together just fine, you know? The strength of your life is in your pulse. Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go again. Again, which biblical text says this? It has a pulse. It has a time. It has a purpose. It has a season. It has a season. It has a rhythm. Everything with God has a rhythm. He has a rhythm. It has a rhythm to it. It has a rhythm. I believe to my soul God is a musician. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's why I use musical illustrations all the time. Because you can't play music. So if- notice he says he believes in his soul that, you know, God is a musician. I'm, I'm sure God knows a thing or two about music, but again... 
the job of a pastor is to preach the word. Are the people there at the potter's house and, and walk, tuning into the Potter's Touch television program, are they learning anything significant about what Scripture really teaches? don't have rhythm. You can't play, let me change that. You cannot play music with anybody. You might could play by yourself because only you know when you're coming in next. Have you ever played the piano for somebody who was singing a solo and they could sing real good but they had no rhythm? And you were trying to figure out when they were going to come in because they would just jump in at any time? And all of a sudden it just... Now, normally, sermon illustrations are used, you know, the illustrations are used to help you understand a biblical text correctly. No effort here on his part whatsoever to, you know, be actually teaching the Bible. Weird. Crazy. They were good by themselves, but you couldn't accommodate them and you couldn't accessorize them because you all could not get the rhythm. Why we got drums for rhythm establishes the beat, tells all the musicians, this is when we come in. If I want to change the beat, I got to change the drummer. Because if the, if the drummer doesn't change his beat, I don't care who's on the piano, a bad drummer will drag you down to the gates of hell. Well, actually, you know, we'll end on that note with T.D. Jakes because, you know, again, I don't know what he's preaching about because it ain't found in the Bible. But I would say this, a uh, false teacher, yeah, will drag you literally, and I mean this, not figuratively, not as a metaphor, but for real, will actually drag you to the gates of hell, which is something I don't think any of us want to have happen, which is all the more reason that if your pastor isn't actually preaching the word and is off you know, exegeting pulses and, you know, things like that and making weird, absurd statements that are supposedly profound that everyone's going to go, oh, wow, that was amazing. And, you know, not actually preach Christ and him crucified for your sins and call people to repent and to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Yeah, that's a false teacher. And um, it doesn't matter if they have rhythm or not. Uh, they're teaching you things that they ought not to be teaching you, and they're not preaching Christ, and they're not calling you to repent and be forgiven. They're actually just filling your head with nonsense and making you feel really pious, you know, and, and religious in a way, if you would. Oh, this has something to do with God and Jesus. I mean, I, after all, that's a Christian pastor, right? But he's not preaching Christ. Well, when that happens, you know what happens? Yeah, they end up dragging you, and I mean this again, literally to the gates of hell, into the gates, and then the gates shut, and then you're there, like, for eternity. Moving along. Yeah, that's right. Time for a uh, David and Nicole Crank update. Get into a mellow groove there. Now, what we're going to be listening to from uh, Faith Church in St. Louis is uh, Nicole Crank's latest sermon entitled, You Got a Dirty Mind. And she's going to engage in what I would consider to be a very fascinating and, um, well, how do I put this, subtle Bible twist, if you would. And so without any further ado, here is Nicole Crank to explain how you and I could potentially be having, well, we have dirty minds. Double entendres all over the place. Here we go. You know, my 
message title for today has to do with some things that go on in the world, the junk that we hear, the stains that try and set up residence in our mind. So I went ahead and I titled this message, you guys say it with attitude, you got a dirty mind. <laughs> Hit your neighbor and tell him you got a dirty mind. Hit the neighbor on the other side and say, pastor said you got a dirty mind. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa there, uh, Nicole. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I appreciate your enthusiasm. But, you know, scripture is very clear that when it comes to pastors, yeah, there ain't no women pastors. So you can't sit there and tell these people, pastor says you have a dirty mind because you're not a biblical, you're, you're not even a pastor. I mean, you may claim the, the title for yourself, but that doesn't make you a, a pastor. In fact, um, you know, I could claim to be a turnip or I could claim to be a block of, um, of blue cheese, but that doesn't mean that I would taste good in a salad. You know what I'm saying? And you know what? If you're going to start a message called, you got a dirty mind, you got to start it with a dirty joke. Oh, yeah, that's right, right? Okay, if you got young children, don't hold their ears. <laughs> you see, there's this cop who lives in the country, sheriff driving around. He's like, dear God, I do not want to mess with any crazies today. Please help me just have a good day. And right about that time, he runs into Chuck Bubba Joe. Chuck Bubba Joe is unloading his washing machine and his old tires and all of his trash into this ditch right underneath a sign that says there is a fine for dumping garbage. He's got no choice but to pull over and deal with Chuck Bubba Joe. He's like, Chuck Bubba Joe, dude, give me a break. Why are you unloading all your garbage into the ditch? And he says, well, officer, this sign right here says it is fine for dumping garbage. <laughs> Y'all thought I was going to tell a really dirty joke. Trash, garbage, dirty, right, right. Y'all get your mind out the gutter. I'm your pastor. Yeah, no, actually, you're not. Again, uh, women cannot be pastors. So, you know, this is disturbing. We continue. But no, you know, dirty, dirty mind, dirty stuff, garbage, trash, all this stuff that we listen to in life. CNN telling us that, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's like you've got to get your peanut butter and get your five-gallon bucket and go live in your basement because your five-gallon bucket is your new restroom and your peanut butter is your new food. But if you eat all that peanut butter, you ain't going to eat the five-gallon bucket. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, CNN's selling, uh, you know... Eschatological world, end of the world, uh, you know, food supplies? I had no idea. But the world tells us all this junk. The people that we work with, people in our family, people who say they're our friends, and a lot of times even ourselves, our inner me, sometimes the enemy comes and tells us all of these negative things. And we hear them all one particular way. Now, I'm not going to give away which body part we hear it with, but I'm pretty sure you're going to pick it up with this next song that I'm going to sing. But I need your help singing this song because they don't give me one of these mics, right? So I need your help. As soon as you, you recognize this song from your early childhood, sing it with me. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. So be Very good. Y'all paid attention in nursery school. That's how you got to kindergarten, isn't it? <laughs> Well, you know, the Bible actually says that very same thing. And Mark 4.24. Mark 4.24. Now, before we uh, allow her to exegete God's word, and we'll, we'll go ahead and take a look at what's going on in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, with chapter 4, in uh, you have this transition in Jesus' ministry, and he begins 
to teach in parables. Here's what it says, Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain, and other seeds fell into good soil, and it produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, notice Jesus isn't here saying, uh, I need to warn you, you've got to be careful what you put into your mind, you know, or, or what you allow your little ears what to hear. That's not what's going on in Mark 4. And uh, by the way, the disciples, they're going, what on earth is this? <laughs> Why are you preaching parables? So we get to verse 10. So when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, there is a popular false teaching out there that the reason why Jesus told parables was to so that he can relate to the crowd. You know, that's not it at all. The reason why Jesus told parables was to make it so the crowd wouldn't understand him. Only those closest to him would get the interpretation of the parables, if you would. And so that's where we kind of then pick up with the context. And then it says in, he, in verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? And they go, I don't know. How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes, takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are also uh, are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who that, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit thirty, sixty, a hundredfold. Verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in and uh, put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is the second time you hear him saying, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. If you understand, if you if your mind has been opened, if your ears and your eyes have been opened so that you can hear and see, that's what he's talking about. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has, it will be taken away. 
So Jesus here in this passage is not teaching, oh, be careful what you hear. Don't listen to negativity because negativity will drag you down. Don't listen to the dirty thoughts that say you can or can't do something. You have to listen to positive things and positive words and stuff like that. So you kind of now have the context. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. The balance of uh, Nicole Crank's so-called biblical teaching, and then a listen in to uh, Stephen Furtick's uh, most recent sermon. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Instead of trying to reinvent the selfie, 
you might have known that little historical factoid. <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, how about praying the dead saints? Done it. Women could be pastors? No, 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 no. Pastrix is already in the dictionary. We can chalk that up as a victory. Maybe. We should tell everyone that they're still under the Mosaic Law. And that they must obey kosher laws. And that they must not celebrate Christmas and be Torah observant. Too Jewish. Come on, you worthless maggots. We've already done all these before. We need to be more creative. And by that, I mean less creative. How about swingers for Jesus? We've already done that one, you idiot. What about portals? Who, who said that? Uh, I did. Well, speak up, worm. What about heavenly portals above Jerusalem? This sounds eerily like the tithing gnome, and he wasn't that popular. No, 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 you wretchedness. These are portals only above Jerusalem, and heavenly blessings fall out of them on the passersby. And, and you'll need a map to find them. And where exactly will they procure this map? It'll come free with every purchase of the Microsoft Zoom. Silence, you imbeciles! They stopped making those years ago. Even the pet rock had better features, and that's bad. Even by our standards. That just sounds terrible. Why would anybody go for Who's next? Uh, there, there's a sound membrane. A sound membrane in the sky that is bulging. And it, it is starting to leak. You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. That's it, you wretchedness. That, that's all I got. Sorry. Well, that's by far the worst idea I've heard yet. And I'm satisfied. I'll just run these notes down the chain of command. Meeting is adjourned! This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. 
click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, the job of a pastor is to preach the word and that those who claim to be female pastors are incapable of rightly handling God's word. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute. You could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Now just a reminder, this Wednesday Hope Lutheran Church, Aurora, Colorado will be uh, the the beginnings of a two-day conference, our 2015 Pirate Christian Radio Conference and uh, it's an intimate environment small group this isn't on purpose and uh, you are welcome to join us even if you haven't already registered you can register at the door if you like it's hope lutheran church aurora colorado the conference begins at 1 p.m 1 p.m is when the conference begins so we'll hope to see some of you all there and uh, it's only forty nine ninety five to attend, so it's you know not an expensive conference come hang out with us and uh, we we guarantee you'll have a good time you also learn quite a, a lot. So, again, Hope Lutheran Church, Aurora, Colorado, uh, Wednesday and Thursday, starting at 1 p.m. Hope to see some of you there. All right, now we've just taken a look at uh, the context of Mark chapter 4 and demonstrated from the context that Mark chapter 4 has nothing to do with, you know, dirty thoughts or anything like that. When Jesus is saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear, and be careful what you listen to, kind of stuff, he's talking about. Your your spiritual eyes and ears being opened, and uh, and the reason why he was preaching in parables is to hide the meaning from those whose spiritual eyes and ears are closed. That's what's going on in the context. But uh, what does Nicole Crank think this is about? Well, here we go. It says, "Be careful what you are hearing. The measure and thought and study that you give to the truth." you will hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more will be given to those who hear. Yeah, I don't know what she's reading from, but that is not what I would consider a faithful translation of that text. I have no clue where she's getting any of this from, which, by the way, is one of the things you need to be looking for, is if your pastor is not teaching from a good translation of Scripture, then there's a good chance they're going to be twisting Scripture. She's one of these people who buys into the Word of Faith heresy, and as a result of that, uh, she oftentimes, along with her husband, uh, teach from what's called the Amplified. The Amplified is not a translation that anybody should be studying from. And it is, uh, you know, like the favorite translation, along with the message, 
of uh, today's most notorious Bible twisters. So we continue. So I don't know what she just read, but that's not what the Greek text uh, says at all. And uh, we continue. So you listen to truth, you get more virtue knowledge of truth, and even more than that. So let's take the word truth out and let's put junk and trash and dirty negative thoughts in that space. Because uh, you're going to just take your whatever translation you're reading from and you're going to in- insert words that are not there. Sometimes you can do that to kind of make a point in a text, but uh, you haven't even faithfully given me the context of what's going on. Notice she gave no context to what's happening in Mark chapter 4. She just takes Jesus' words, you know, removes them from the historical context, what Jesus was saying when he spoke them, what, you know, what was going on around them, and, uh, and in order to come up with this teaching. Sure sign you're dealing with somebody who's a Bible twister. After hearing the measure of thought and study you give to dirt and trash and negative thoughts that you hear is the measure of dirt and trash and negative thoughts that will come back to you and even more will be given to you. So Uh, what are you reading from? We think about and let dirt and trash and negative thoughts weigh us down even more is going to come to us. Now, when we read the passage before the commercial break, uh, did you hear anything about Jesus warning about negative thoughts and stuff like that? No, not at all. And see, by taking God's word and Jesus' words out of their context from the historical narrative, she can make Jesus' words mean whatever she wants. Yep, in these these words that Jesus spoke don't mean at all what she says they mean. She is not communicating faithfully what Christ taught in Mark 4. We need to set our mind on the things of God, set our mind on the blessings of God, set our mind on the promises of God, and try and even out these scales. Because nobody really likes the scale anyway, right? You get up in the morning, you see that thing, and you're like, you... I blame you for everything. You step on it in the morning and it tells you something and it's like, you are a liar. You lie to me. Y'all must have nicer scales than the one at my house. I swear my husband rigs mine. (laughs) No, but the scales, they don't seem normal. You know, if somebody tells you, how many of y'all ever tried to get a house? Gone through the mortgage process, you fill out the application, you go through all that. They tell you, oh, you know what? This problem came up in the inspection with the house. We're not sure if the bank is going to let this go through. And you stay up two or three nights worrying about it. Anybody that ever, ever happened to you? Or they tell you, oh, there's this mark on your credit report. It's from 1976. You're like, I was 12. They're like, yeah, your first credit card, you didn't clean it up. We don't know if you're going to get the house. And you spend two or three nights waiting up thinking, oh my gosh, what I did 20 years ago is going to affect me now. How many of you have had stuff like that come to your mind? And you think about it all night long. Then the mortgage goes through. You close on the house. You are so excited. And you go home and you lay down in bed and you sleep like a baby because everything is okay. We give more weight to those negative thoughts than we do to the positive thoughts. Uh, Yeah, again, what Jesus was teaching in Mark chapter 4 has absolutely nothing, and I mean this, absolutely nothing to do with obsessing about negative thoughts in our lives. Weird. That's okay. It's a natural human response. It even happens to guys in the Bible. Go with me to Numbers 13. I want to tell you a story about some guys that were going to do some really great things for God. So it says here in the beginning, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses. Who spoke to Moses? Moses' best friend? Some guys? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, 
which I am giving to the children of Israel. Now, notice she's uh, going to this text, um, well, apparently to help, you know, make her point. So she's taking Jesus' words out of context in Mark 4, and if that is not enough, well, she's decided to add insult to injury, uh, and now she's going to mistell the story of the spies in Cana, which, by, which, by the way, you know, is like one of the go-to texts for those people out there who are false? Uh, who are false teachers? You know they know that one really well, and so they blame what happened. You know there. You, we all know the story. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. What did they see when they spied on Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw grapes and clusters fall. Some saw God rule over all. Ten were bad and two were good. We all know the song, right? So we know the story. We've we've all heard it a million times. But what was the real reason? why uh, the children of Israel spent, you know, after this incident, you know, that all of the adults above a particular age were going to die in the wilderness without going into the promised land. Well, it actually says, the idea here, Scripture interprets Scripture. It's not because they had negative thoughts. No, it's it's because they didn't believe. And we know this because of Jude, uh, starting at verse 5. Here's what it says. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So the idea here, what's the reason why the children of Israel didn't go into Israel? Why, uh, you know, after this incident of the 12 spies? It's because of unbelief, not negative thinking, unbelief. So, you know, what Nicole is doing here is weaving a tapestry of false doctrine that basically says, oh, it's all about the positive thinking. Why? Because she buys into the word of faith faith heresy, that your words create reality, and you've got to have a positive attitude. She is in the same camp as Joel Osteen, as Brian Houston, and others. And so she's twisting God's word to get this doctrine because God's word doesn't teach it. Let's see what she does with this uh, text from Numbers now. Okay, so the Lord said it, and he said he's going to give them the land that they can go into it. But here's what happens. We think that the Bible and these stories were written long ago, and it doesn't have that much to do with us. But let's go ahead and put it in today's context. The Word of God, the Bible, is God's Word to us, right? If it's in the Bible, God said it. Everybody say, God said it. So if it's in the Bible, God said it. And he said in the Bible that he's going to give us a lot of different things. One scripture says, with long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. And yet we start thinking about the fact that our... Yeah, what's the context of that, please? ...died of breast cancer. Our uncle died of prostate cancer. We start worrying about the longevity of our life, but we don't look at that promise. God said he was giving us long life and not a long, terrible life. He said a long life we're going to be satisfied with. So, if- Which, by the way, you can find these passages in the book of Deuteronomy, and these are promises to the Israelites under the Mosaic Covenant if they keep the covenant. And what happens is prosperity preachers, they take these, you know, these promises attached to the Mosaic Covenant and say, well, see, this is written to you. This, the Bible's written to all of us, so God promised us long life. No, actually, God promised long life to those who keep the Torah, the Mosaic Covenant. And we're under the New Covenant. And so the, the, the reality of the situation is, is that God has not... Pro- yeah, yeah, this is really bad, by the way. We continue. You get the point, though. 
satisfied right now. God doesn't want you setting up camp in that space for 40 years. He wants you to be looking to the promises that God said that he was going to give us. Amen. So God's going to give you a long life and prosperity and wealth and health. That's what she's basically saying. Amen. No, I can't say amen to that. So God says to them, I'm giving this land to the children of Israel. So he says, I want you to go to the tribe of their fathers and send a man, everyone, a leader among them. So they have 2 million people in this tribe and they pick the top 12 guys. So you think these guys would be smart, right? They'd be businessmen. They'd know what's going on. They're going to be all James Bond. If they're going in the land, they're going to be like, doom, 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 figuring it all out. You know, doo, doo, doo. that's not James Bond music, is it? <laughs> Whatever. So they're going to spy out the land and they're trusted. So they come back with the report. Everybody say, here comes the report. And here's what they say. They're like, oh my gosh, this land is flowing with milk. It is flowing with honey. There are grapes like the size of a man's head. It is awesome. Now we read that today and we don't know what that means because we don't, how many of you farm grapes? No, we don't farm grapes. We don't know what that means. Translation to today's world. Girl, I found this job. Mm -mm. They will pay you $150,000 a year. You go to work, you get on Facebook all day. They don't care what you do. Eight weeks paid vacation, full benefits, and they got 10 positions open. We're going to hire my 10 friends. That. No, I, I don't think that's what that means at all. They still would have to farm those grapes. It means how many of you would go take that job tomorrow? You're in, like with both feet, right? So this is what he's telling them. Easy street is here. The blessing of God is here. What you've been praying. Oh, man. So, so this is all about you having easy street, but you can't have negative thoughts if you want easy street in your life. Is here. But, everybody say but. But, sometimes your butt is in the way. But there are these big, huge giants. And they're hairy and scary and big. And you know what? When we have to fight them, I think we are really going to lose. What do we do? I don't think we take the land. I don't think we take the promise. I don't think we take the good job because there's giants in the land. They send 12 leaders over there. 10 of the 12 leaders tell them not to go. Only two of the guys go after the promises. I'm here to tell you today, if you listen to the common news of the world, if you listen to the common things that are going on, if you listen to CNN, if you listen to Fox News, if you listen to the world... Yeah, you listen to all that negative stuff. Yeah, this, apparently this is about not listening to negative thinking. They're going to tell you it's terrible, it's bad, it's only getting worse, it's awful, you're never going to make it, don't look for things to improve. But we got to be over here with the two, because only two out of the twelve are going to know, God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory, not according to Greece's economy. My God has this. Everybody say, I'm going with the two. Because we Yeah, um, you see, the thing is, you think you're going with the two, because you think that the, the reason why the ten failed is because of negativity. Yet scripture is so clear on this that the reason why they the, t the 10 failed is not because of negativity, it's because of unbelief. The question is, do you believe and trust God? And are the promises that you're trusting in, are they actually for us? The promises that we have uh, you know, for, as Christians are that, yes, God will meet our needs. It doesn't say that God's going to make us rich. It's that God is going to raise us up on the last day and resurrect us in, you know, to new life, and we'll live eternally in the new heavens and new earth. He does not promise that we will have perfect health and, lo and wealth and a long life here in you know, this life, 
you know, under the cursed creation, under the you know, new covenant. That's not it at all. We're to take up or deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. So she's got this completely backwards, and the reason why is because she's twisting God's word. She thinks she's a pastor. She's not. There's no such thing as a woman pastor. And uh, and she's buying into this, you know, prosperity, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it theology. And as a result of it, she's deceiving those people. And no, she's not pointing them to Christ and him crucified for their sins and the promises of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. No, no, she's promising them, well, health, wealth, prosperity, long life, here and now, as long as they, you know, they stay positive. And that's not what God's Word teaches. Moving along. Time for a Stephen Furtick update. Stephen Furtick from, uh, well, I think this was last Sunday's sermon. It's entitled, Shutting the Door on Distraction. Shutting the Door on Distraction. Notice the uh, redundancy there. That's on purpose. That's what they named it. And uh, this is supposedly somewhat based upon the story of Jesus raising the um, the girl from the dead in the story of Mark chapter 5, you know, Jairus' daughter. So uh, without any further ado, we'll just get right to it. Here is Stephen Furtick and he, what he thinks that this text is about. Here we go. Mark chapter 5, and I, I want to use the end of it. Um, it records a sequence of events, but I want to use the end in Mark chapter... You want to use the end of a story. So notice he's not interested in telling the story from the beginning, you know, where... 
where Jairus's daughter shows up when Jesus, you know, lands there in Capernaum and, you know, how he begs and says, come, my little daughter is dying. And then, you know, as they're going, you know, up comes this woman with the flow of blood for 12 years who, you know, just basically says, if I just touch the hem of his garment, you know, with the sitziot, the, you know, the tassels, that she'll be healed. And sure enough, she was. Of course, then Jesus said, who touched me? I mean, this is a great passage. I preached on it a few weeks ago, and, uh, and, and it's all about Jesus, right? This great, amazing, merciful, kind Jesus. It's all about him. But uh, Stephen Furtick's not interested in that and how he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. No, he's, he said he's going to use the end of the story. And uses, well, I think the right verb. Let's see how he uses the end of the story rather than preaching the story and preaching Christ from it. Chapter 5, verse 37. Let's go to 37. Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Be careful who you hang around. Certain seasons. Be careful who you hang around. Just read it in context and it has nothing to do with who you hang around. Boy, he's twisting God's word badly right from the start. In your life will call for restricted access. Different seasons in when your life. Di- the the- different seasons are going to call for restricted access. What are you talking about? The synagogue leader, Jesus, saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Here's our verse. The second section of verse 40. After he put them all out. Jesus did that. Jesus kicked people out of the room. Read it in context, please. He sure did. He sure did. And after he had done that, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him, went in where the child was, took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, but before he fixed her peanut butter and jelly and before he raised her from the dead, he did something. It says he put them all out. I want to preach to you for a few moments. We're in this series about fighting back when distraction attacks. And I'm going to use as a subject today, shutting the door on distraction. Shutting the door. So apparently just just rip this uh, verse out of its context. Ignore the rest of the story and how it's all about Jesus. And now we can look at something Jesus did. Notice how Jesus shut the door on distraction. And you need to do the same thing too. Right. Shutting the door on distraction. All right. So find 10 people and tell them, shut it out, shut it out, shut it out. Whatever's going to keep you from paying attention to the preacher today, shut it out. It's time for the word. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Shut it out. One day in my seminary class on pastoral care, a fight broke out. Would you like to hear about this? A fight broke out. The classroom turned into a a cage. A conversational cage, steel cage. I'm using that as a metaphor because a fight broke out. Y'all are so difficult sometimes. 
The subject was how accessible should a pastor be? That was the subject. This was not a typical seminary classroom. It was called an extension. Yeah, well, this passage in Mark chapter 5 has nothing to do with how accessible a pastor should be. I mean, Jesus, this wasn't about accessibility to Jesus or anything of the sort. So already we're, we're off to the races, if you would. And notice he did the same thing Nicole Crank did, and that is Nicole Crank took a verse out of context, and by taking it out of context, you can make it be about whatever you want it to be rather than what it is about. So this, this, has, this text has nothing to do with whether or not pastors need to take time off for themselves or how accessible they need to be. Program. That meant for people who couldn't go to seminary full-time, we had to do it on Mondays and on weekends and J-terms and June, January, J-terms, and had to go out there. But this was a Monday afternoon class. Which meant you had different kinds of people in the class. You had some people like me who had no ministry experience to speak of. I had just started the church. You had some people in the class who had more ministry experience and were going back to get their education. So it was interesting. Anytime it would open up for discussion, you would get a plethora. <laughs> fancy words. Of opinions. And they... um they opened it up. The professor said, how accessible should a pastor be? In other words, should a pastor have an open door policy that anybody can see the pastor at any time and for any reason? And so one of the young guys spoke up first. Mm-hmm. It's always the dumbest ones who are the loudest. You'll notice that if you live a little while. Young guy spoke up and said, well, my pastor, my pastor is always available. He... He will interrupt his study. He will interrupt his prayer. If one person needs him, he's all about the people. And we shouldn't be pastors if we don't care about people. Because we're in this for the people. If you don't love people, you can't be a pastor. So I think a pastor should always have an open door policy. All the time. And he went on and on about it. He was very vociferous. <laughs> Did I use that right? <laughs> he was like... It should always be open. The door should always Did he get some kind of new vocabulary list? Is he trying to incorporate it in? And maybe he has a bet with his buddies. You know, how many of these vocab words do you think I can weave into my sermon? And, you know, maybe there's like a bounty, you know, 10 bucks for this one, 20 for the. What is that? Always be open. Pastor should love people. Door should always be open. That's what my pastor does. An older gentleman who had been in ministry for a little while, who wasn't dealing in theories. Because theories only become truths when tested by time. Right. <sighs> <laughs> it was like T.D. Jakes. Oh, wow. Wow, that was so profound. Has nothing to do with the story of the raising of Jarius' daughter at all. Could you put that on Pinterest, please? <laughs> it's not on my notes anywhere, so you'll have to post it. Tag me. <laughs> but this guy didn't say it as loud. He didn't say as much, but I heard him. I heard him more clearly. He said, might I suggest, young brother, that um, if we are always available to everyone, we will eventually have nothing to give anyone. 
Uh, again, uh, yeah. Listen, I, I'm not going to weigh in on this argument as to how accessible a pastor needs to be. I would say this: that it is important that a pastor is accessible. To what level he's accessible? I mean, you know, if that means he's, you know, responds 30 seconds after receiving a text, I, I don't know about that. Uh, but uh, he, a pastor needs to be accessible to those whom he is shepherding. Uh, regarding you know emergencies in their lives, difficulties, time for prayer, and things like that, accessible in the sense that the people he's pastoring need to be able to ask him questions theologically, get clarification, things like that, and he needs to be accessible in the sense of accountability. For instance, if uh, Stephen Furtick uh, were pastoring the congregation that I'm pastoring, uh, the elders would actually have had words with him after the sermon and, and basically said, "You had just twisted God's word, and you're teaching false doctrine," and you know, so he. Needs to be accessible in that sense. But uh, what you notice here is that uh, he wanted to use the end of the story. And I would just go ahead, if you, if you haven't already done so, go back a few weeks, a few Fridays ago, I posted three recent sermons uh, that I had uh, preached recently, uh, hence the word recent, and uh, this was one of the passages that I preached on. And I actually preached from my own translation of this text. And this story is about Jesus. This isn't about how accessible you need to be in your ministry. And he's twisted God's word here, ripped it out of context, made it about something that it is not. And by doing so, he has shown that he's not qualified to be a pastor. Because a pastor is one who's to be somebody who's studied and shown himself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment who can rightly handle and divide the word of truth. And uh, Paul writes to Titus that you know an elder must teach what's in accord with sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Stephen Furtick is one of these guys who he refuses, and I mean obstinately has hardened his heart against what God's Word means, and he's absolutely dead set determined to preach whatever it is he thinks is most important. And by doing so, he's made himself God. Because when somebody takes God's Word and ignores what it means and what it says in order to say what they want to talk about, they've made it clear that what God has to say is not important. But what they have to say is more important. In other words, like I said, they've made themselves into God. And that's exactly what Stephen Furtick has done. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. I'm going to be playing an interview that I recorded last week with a gal from... Oslo, Norway, talking about her megachurch and its takeover by Hillsong. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissiopified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. 
Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc. But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parent Dome was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Semi-modified format today. We're not going to be doing a sermon review. Right. What we're going to be doing today, um, I'm going to be playing an interview I recorded last week. Uh, with a little bit of help, I was able to track down the author of a three-part series of uh, articles that were written and published uh, for uh, Church Watch Central, or Hillsong Church Watch, is the, uh, you know, and I'll put links up to it. Uh, with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. So if you go to fightingforthefaith.com, find today's episode Monday, July 27th, 2015. You can find the link so that you can read each of these articles uh, in their entirety. And I'm going to be discussing this with the author. Her name is Elizabeth, and she's from uh, Oslo, Norway. And the first one of her, uh, part one of her series was entitled Hillsong Insider, My Exit Out of a Megachurch Never to Return Again. Part two is the Hillsong Takeover of a Norwegian Charismatic Megachurch. And then part three is entitled Secrecy is a Hillsong Trademark. And I think these are fascinating articles written from the point of view of somebody who kind of experienced all of this herself and has come to question the entire megachurch model as a, as a model for doing church and what the longevity is and, and the impact that it's going to have on the church. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Elizabeth from Oslo, Norway. Here we go. 
All right, on the line, I have Elizabeth, and she's near Oslo, Norway, not Oslo, Minnesota. And I've invited her on Fighting for the Faith to discuss a series of articles that she wrote, uh, kind of chronicling her experience in a uh, mega church in uh, in Norway that eventually uh, became part of the Hillsong family of churches. Elizabeth, thanks for coming on Fighting for the Faith. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I got to tell you, your articles were fascinating to read because you were asking some tough questions about how the whole megachurch model works. There's kind of like two parts to your uh, your story, if you would. One, kind of wrestling with whether or not the megachurch model really is a good model. And then, you know, the second, kind of like the, uh, almost, if you would, the corporate merger of your, um, the megachurch that you were attending with the, uh, a larger brand name, the Hillsong Family of Churches. And uh, I found, you know, reading these that I thought you were asking some very tough and poignant questions and ones that I think are very important to kind of weigh out whether or not this new thing that has emerged literally in our lifetime, the the modern megachurch, if it's really something that this model of church is really doing what, you know, the Great Commission has called us to do, and that is making disciples of all nations, and if this is really the right vehicle for doing that. So let me ask you kind of a, as a, as a lead-off question, you know, what got you interested in going to a megachurch in the first place? Um, well, I was um, in the middle of switching uh, jobs, and I had some finally some time off. Uh, there's not that many churches in Norway, so this is one of the big ones that's uh, very well recognized. I have a family that goes to this church, so it, it was just kind of natural, new people there, and uh, had a Sunday free, so I thought I would go, and the message was very um, alive. You know, I mean, it's a younger, hip pastor that preaches directly to uh, young people, you could say. And I I myself was kind of uh, spiritually on the rocks at the time. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of why I, I, I was like, I need to go to church. And that was sort of the first one that came to my mind was this big uh, mega church. Okay. Um, is there anything about that mega church that is really like a church? Or is it, you know, is it an event, a show? What What exactly is the format? Well, they uh, they meet in um, a theater downtown Oslo, so it's very easy to uh, get to. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's I, it doesn't remind me of like the church I grew up as uh, uh, as a kid. It's it's you know the uh, pumped up uh, band and very very youth centered. It's very loud volume. I mean, uh, you know, dim lighting. I mean, you know, that whole sort of yeah youth centered uh, mega type of church. And I, of course, to correct this, this is a branch of, they have three churches. Uh-huh. So basically the families would go to the one that's out in the suburbs that's geared more for families. So okay. I, I, yeah, so I just, for this was a closer um, place for me to go. That's why I went there. Okay, so so you went to the one geared more for the youth and there was a multi-site that was geared more towards families? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say that's safe to say. Yeah. Okay, so which kind of begs the question? Okay, so um, if you're at the mega church that's for the younger people, and uh, you find somebody who wants to date you, and you eventually get married, do you have to graduate and go to the other multi-site? <laughs> you know, I mean, it seems kind of weird that yeah. you would separate yeah. all these people this way. Right. 
Oh, that's a good way of putting it. It's a bit more just natural because the younger people are downtown. They're studying and, and so on. And the young, the, once you get families, you move out to the suburbs. So it's a bit more that's just how the cookies crumble. But um, yeah, there, there are a few like the leadership families go there with their children. It's not like there aren't there isn't a Sunday school for little kids, but uh -huh. there's really there isn't really uh, youth. Youth don't go there. It was really like 20s to 30s, I would say. Uh -huh. Up to max 40. That was sort of the age bracket that was generally there. So if you start getting gray hair, you, where do you go? <laughs> then you should go to the church that's out in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is kind of interesting. The reason I say that is because, you know, there's in the pastoral epistles in the Bible, there's instructions for older women and, you know, to instruct and to teach the younger women and uh, older men are to, you know, that, that, you know, they play a prominent role. It sounds to me like by dividing everybody up like this, that there would be very limited contact with somebody outside of your your current generation of people. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, but I mean, they state uh, very, you know, openly on their website that if you're looking for the Oregon type church, there's plenty of those in Norway. We're trying to be different. I mean, they're they're trying to reach, you could say, the younger people who think that Oregon and the old school church is is way outdated. Okay. So if you if you want that church, then find another one down the street. That's that would be their message. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. That, that that's not demeaning at all. Okay. Um. Uh, so in your experience there, though. Um, you, in your article, you, you, you talk about it in a way that there, there were some serious downsides to this approach to doing church. From your point of view, what were those downsides and, and what is it that you know, kind of made you start thinking that this may not be the, right, the best way of doing things? Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, you come in and then, I mean, for me, actually, I really can say I, I gave my uh, life to the Lord and, and really uh, surrendered my life. I mean, I really... Uh, got saved. I really can say that because it's you know you have a process when you're when you're born and raised in the church and you think you know it and, and you know so uh, <laughs> and then you suddenly realize you know what I don't because I don't feel the power of God in my life. This is a on and off you know relationship I have with God. I have to really uh, commit my life to the Lord. So I really did that there and that then you can you can run on that for quite a while you know wow i got say this is amazing and you know this uh, the, the pastor really spoke to my heart you know it really got the message got through you hang in there but i mean over time you're like okay but this is not healthy in the long run like where's the grandparents i mean for me i i've had a lot of older people in my life so it, i really felt a great void not having any older people there they, they even there's just no way they would go to this type of church, you know, and then right. you're like, okay, okay. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, you just graduate from this kind of church. I, I don't know how people stay in there longer than max a couple of years, you know, unless they go into leadership, you know? Wow. Okay. that That's fascinating. You would say that, that, uh, that people graduate from this kind of church. So is it by its very nature, just something that, really can't really provide the depth that you need as you mature as a Christian? No, I, I really uh, did not feel it did that. I just really didn't. Okay. It's uh, it's just the same. And then, I mean, they have the salvation message at the end of every service. So, you know, but it's kind of like, 
who would like to accept Jesus? It's a very, very simple salvation call with no uh, reference to sin or anything like that. Whoa. So the message is always geared to brand new Christians. Like every and every Sunday, some people would raise their hands and get saved. You know, so it, and then you know it, it would be sort of the the, piano, the pianist would get up there and play. You know, so it's it's sort of that that type of church to get saved, but. But yeah, from where do you go from there? To me, it it just didn't get deep enough. And then you were meant to go to Life Group, which was meant to be so much deeper. But there, they just sort of rehashed the Sunday sermon. It, I, I didn't feel that that was an answer, really. Right. Yeah, my experience in small groups was never very positive. I I never really understood the point of sitting around and you know looking at a Bible passage and then asking, "What does this verse mean to you?" That's <laughs> The question is, what does it mean? I mean, you know, yeah, exactly, right. And so, and then, you know, some of the groups I've been a part of, it it seemed like um, the socializing slash um, gossip time, you know, was 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 uh, the bigger uh, function of it. And then, then there was always the question of, uh, is the person who's leading the small group Bible study does he have any training at all, or she have any training at all in actually understanding the Bible? Right. Yeah. No, they it, they don't really. It's just whoever wants to lead it because you don't have to have that much training. You just rehash what the pastor said on Sunday and, and you know work that topic over. So, it yeah, it, it's not very helpful. You you just yeah, I I felt I, I'm not going to grow here, and and it's just simply not healthy to not have all the generations here. Uh-huh. And I just hated how everything cost. Um, you know, you had to pay for everything. You paid for. I, I just didn't find that very friendly, and right, uh, just that family feeling of what church—it uh, just wasn't there. I, I no. Okay, so um, you, talking about costs was you know in you know, I've always said that the that particular model of doing church is the most expensive model that you can possibly think up to uh, do church because. You know, they, they oftentimes they have to dress the stage to go with the theme for whatever the sermon series right. is. You yeah. you, you got to right. reload the smokes the smoke machines every week, and you know, <laughs> and, and of course you. So you got to and and they they've got the the vision casting leader at the top and his leadership That's, team yeah. below, and then and then they always have these weird things where like you know somebody's in who's the pastor of parking lot ministries and the per, <laughs> you know the pastor of connection. And then you wonder what the word pastor means in a context like that. It just yeah, and yeah. it just has a, a kind of a corporate. Yeah. It's a corporation and business that they're running yes. that just also happens to have a very shallow Christian veneer attached to it. Is am, am I yeah. describing what yeah. you went through? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like you say, it takes a lot of time. A lot of time. Like if I served on the cafe team, I could put in five to seven hours on a Sunday when I served, and that. Because you you um, help get everything ready, and then you have to serve lunch to the worship and praise team, and then you serve for the church coming in, and then you have the cleanup because you know you rent the theater, so you have to box everything up. You can't leave anything. You know, it's someone else is going to be coming in there Monday morning. So it, it's it, and I mean, like the people that work on on uh, the praise and worship team or do the sound. They they can put into ten hours. I mean, it's unbelievable. And that's all volunteer. They're not paying all, you to do that. It's all volunteer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so they're getting a lot of free labor in order to uh, to make this all yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. All right, which basically means then you have to deal with employee burnout with people who aren't even employees but who are behaving like employees. You know, 
I mean, I was joking with it. We were just laughing and laughing. But me and another person on the cafe team, we said, you know, it's easier to get off work, your real job, you know, to get a day off than it is to get out of your cafe duty at, at church. <laughs> <laughs> and that is no joke. Like <laughs> They didn't have sick days? Funny. You know, they didn't have sick days. You know, how many sick days were you allowed a year at church? Right. Yeah, okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. Oh, and, and, and the cafe team is just one of the teams of volunteers yeah. that helps support yeah. this, you know, this mega church business corporate kind of thing. Okay. Right. Yeah. I've, I, I, I've always known that they needed an army of people to, you know, to kind of pull it off every week, but they're only paying yeah. the people in the leadership team. Right. To, you know, to actually organize this stuff, but not the volunteers. Right, right. Okay. Now, one of the things I thought was an interesting kind of little side note, as I read, uh, you know, your articles, was that uh, there, there was seems to be a, a sense in which a, there was an undercurrent at the church that um, there were single people, and the one of the thing, reasons why they were there, they were looking for somebody to date. And if you were not interested in dating somebody, th- that would kind of create an awkward environment for you to be in uh, week after week. Right, right. And that's what I mean by just missing the whole, all the generations. It's just very awkward. It's it, We're all the same age. We're all trying to get married or are newly married. So, you, you know, it's just, yeah, it can feel really awkward. A lot of these events feel like, they're treated like sort of free dating, you know, see who's new at church type of thing. It's just in the long run, it's exhausting to, not, to you just want to go to church because you want to go to church, not because, you know, you know what I mean? It's just it, it, for me, it f- felt very um, strange in the long run. I'm like, what? I can't do this year after year. This is very weird. <laughs> <laughs> so you walk in and the guys are going, who's she? Yeah. It's yeah. like, no, no, it's not why I'm here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah. kind of I mean, like, you know, oh, and, man. And the, and every event is like that, you know. And I mean, I mean, we had a, a, you know, the younger kids. They'll leave because they're like, oh yeah, we're not at the age ready to get married, so they'll go to the even younger, hipper church, you know, for their age group. And oh wow! Like, oh my word, this is not why we should be going to church. Okay. <laughs> Now, it, it, which kind of begs the question then, um, what type of music was playing there? Because uh, here's the thing. When you listen to popular music, there's different varieties of popular right. music. And right. so you know, some people are into techno. Some people are into something that's a little bit like more like heavy metal or, you know, a real, yeah. you know, like radio pop music and stuff like that. Um, you know, it, it, w- would they basically pick the genre of music to have the broadest appeal or uh were there um, people it, well i mean they really uh, they really do uh, m- a lot of the hill song songs okay so uh, we happen to have a pretty heavy drummer so it, it it sounded a bit more rocked out at our church than at a maybe a hill song concert uh-huh hill song often sounds pretty pop but uh, we had a little heavier rock sound you know so now, yeah. how do you sing along, you know, in a venue where the music is so loud? How Can you hear yourself even singing when? when... <laughs> well, I mean, I would look around at people and I noticed half the audience was not singing. They're just watching the band perform. I mean, it's just not it is not congregational worship at all. Wow. OK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, listen, <laughs> I, I love me a good rock concert. I mean, right, you know, right. if if one of the 80s bands gets together and they're touring here in the United States, I might go see them, you know, right, you, you know, right. 
Um, you know, they, again, I'm dating myself. Uh, but anyway, so the, but the thing is, is that you know, I, I might sing along to you know some of the songs that I know when, when I'm at a concert like that, but. I don't consider that congregational singing. I, that's just yeah. just part of being in the in the crowd in the audience and being enjoying the moment of the rock concert. Right. And so you, you made a very interesting distinction. You said that this isn't congregational singing. What kind of impact then does that have on a Christian's discipleship if there's no they have no real sense of participating in congregational singing? Um. Yeah. I mean. You know, but I think these young people, they're not comparing this to anything. They're, yeah. A lot of them are unchurched. Okay. So I, I, I think for them, this is great. I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I mean, I'm comparing this to, you know, an, uh, an older type of church where we sang all, all the old hymns and, you know, so maybe that's a little bit unfair. I mean, for me, that's what I would be comparing it to. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And it's not like the old oldies is the goldies. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't need to be doing that. But, but yeah, I, I don't feel that anyone else is criticizing this. Like, oh, this is weird. You know, they think it's great. This is how church should be. You know, um, some some of the uh, people there would say, yeah, it is a bit too rocked out, but you know, what do you do? The kids love it, you know, and, and so you, everybody sacrifices always for the children. I find that very, also very weird that the young people should put the standard on what, you know, it, it's just, it makes it so, um, here today and gone tomorrow. It's like, what right. is relevant today? You know, it's just very strange, uh, way I think of doing worship. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I want to do is look back at photographs of me at church and go, ooh, man, I can't believe I wore that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, all right, so there, there's there's a sense in which it's always in the, the pop culture trendy you know, moment now, and th- there's not a sense of timelessness then. Uh, you know, right. Okay. Yeah, in, okay, yeah. All right. Now, so you know, the, you, you, the culmination of all of these different thoughts kind of started coming to a head and, and made you question whether or not you can continue, you know, yeah. in this model because you there was no depth to it. You weren't really being challenged. Right. You weren't being taught scriptures. And it's funny that you said that you know there's not a lot of talk about sin and repentance. How do you? No. How does one give the salvation message without at least talking about sin and repentance? How is that possible? Um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I it's, it's a while since I've been there, but I mean, how do they, I mean, they just slow, he slowly bra- wraps always the sermon toward the salvation, salvation message. If you haven't ever, you know, um, in Norwegian, we say time to, to accept or to, to, you know, take Jesus into your life, you should do it. It's, it's the greatest thing you'll ever do. And it, it's kind of more like, wow, you know, it's awesome. You should, you know. It's not really at all about the, taking up the cross, laying down your sins, you know. Right. They, they just don't push that. It, it's more like, whoa, who wouldn't want to, you know, it's it's like Jesus is a rock star. I just feel like that's how it's always presented. And, and, oh, wow. And, and everybody should want to, and everyone has that. Yeah, we should. We, and, I mean, they play, you know, the music, and it's it's all sounds so spiritual. I mean, he jokes about it, like, okay, let's get the pianist up here so I sound spiritual, you know. I mean, yeah. Wow. I mean, it, it, this is how they present it, and and when I when I did um, bring that up to one of the leaders, they just said, "Well, everybody knows they're a sinner. Like we want to sort of, um, you know, 
push the other side that Jesus loves you, he accepts you, and, and you know what I mean, as you are, come as you are. And uh -huh. everyone goes around already feeling guilty and like a sinner. We don't need to drive that into the ground with the hellfire brimstone messages. You know? Wow. Okay. So they, they, they were aware. That, yeah, they were aware. But yeah. it, So they made a conscious decision to not talk yes. about sin and repentance, which kind of begs the question, because Jesus in Luke chapter 24, he tells the disciples to go out into all the world and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. This is what he says. And yes. you know, and so if you're going to talk about repentance and the forgiveness of sins, if Christ was bleeding and dying on the cross for our sins, then yes. repentance and sins have to be at least some tangible part of the presentation of the gospel. If you're going to talk about salvation, what are we being saved from? Are we being yeah. saved from, you know, the difficulties and challenges of a suburbanite life uh, in, in, yeah. in Oslo, Norway, or are we being yeah. saved from the wrath of God through the, right, right. through the death and resurrection of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. It's never, it's never talked like, about like that. It, it really isn't. Okay. Or, yeah, and they just don't talk about that Jesus is coming again to judge the world. That's just not at all, you know. What What's he coming the, back for then? In the In the way they yeah, talk. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, it, I, I mean, the longer I was there, the more I realized they're into that whole kingdom building. You know, it, it's like they're they're going to build this great kingdom that Jesus is. It's going to be awesome. He's going to come back and rule the world and. It's more like, you know, what can we do to help bring God's kingdom in and, and be great? And it, yeah, that Jesus is coming back to to judge the world. That is they don't talk about that. OK, instead, it's more like we got to make the world a better place. Go and make a yes. difference. And then Jesus is going to show up sometime and go, great job. Way to go. Yes. And now I'm yeah. king. Right. Yeah. Yeah. OK, that's that's frightening in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. all right. Okay, so... Um, they don't at all prepare you for persecution or... It's like, it's like we... I don't know, it's like we're not part of the body of Christ. I mean, when you think of people suffering in, in, in other countries for their faith, it, it's like, I don't know. It's that... I feel I felt a really disconnect, you know, with with how it is for the rest of of the body of Christ, you know. Right now, let me ask you this: as you read your Bible, you know, as a Christian, you know, we're supposed to be doing right. that, you know. Did you ever feel like, you know, what I'm hearing in church isn't the same thing as what I'm reading in the Scripture? Did you ever have that sense? Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, I did. I mean. Um, I started going back and reading the Old Testament again, and it's very serious when you start reading the prophets. Yep. You know, Isaiah and um, and uh, all the old prophets. And, and it's like, yeah, that side of God, you don't hear that at all. We're only hearing one side of God in, in this type of megachurch. Okay. So it's just that Jesus is loving, 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 but it's it's never the other side of... of um, you know, judging that God convicts you of sin, you know, that is just not, that's just not presented. You would have to dig in the Bible yourself and find that. Okay, which kind of begs the question, you know, you know, as far as I understand, uh, at least my understanding of Scripture, is that every human being, regardless of their age, whether they are young or old, that they sin, and that Christ has bled and died for their sins. And so we've got a problem here if a, the younger generation of people who are 
part of a church movement are not being taught the full counsel of the Word of God and not being you know confronted with their sin, mm-hmm. told to repent, to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. You're mm-hmm. talking about a whole group of younger people who then go mm-hmm. on to become leaders and pastors as they as they grow. Um, this is, you know, what this is. I think this would have a negative impact on Christianity over the long haul because you have the younger generation thinking that this is what Christianity is when they're not being taught the whole message. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's very it's very sad. I, yeah, everyone just seems a little bit um, <laughs> unstable, or I mean, yeah, it's just. You know, I mean, like, like for me, when I really gave my life to Christ, then you want to come to the light. You know, you have a whole new desire. You want to come to the light. You want God to shine his light into your life, all the corners of your life, you know. And and that's why, I mean, like, as a teenager, I could I could think like they are, you know what I mean? But then when you are maturing and, 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 and you want God to to shine the light into your life, then you're suddenly like, whoa, they're missing like half the picture. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, where is the where is the discipline? Where is the it's it's just yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. So one of the things that happened while you were there, and it sounds like if I'm reading you if I read your articles correctly, that you, while you were already starting to question whether or not this was a church you could be in for the long haul. Um, they they be, they actually made the switch and joined the Hillsong family of churches. Tell us a little bit about that process and and yeah. and how that happened and and your thoughts as to whether or not that happened in an appropriate way. Right. Okay. Well, uh, just to uh, recap that about you know a mega to be in a mega church or not, you know. Uh, Jesus had 12 disciples and those 12 disciples went out and made disciples, you know, and, and I feel like the mega church is going to like way out, like try to top what Jesus did, you know, thousands, they're just going to reach the nations. And it's like, they totally lose touch with, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples and, and I, we were evangelizing on the street. This is when I was still going to that church and we met a, a Jewish guy who really challenged us. Uh, of course, he brought up the Trinity, and you know, I mean, we were talking for an hour and a half. But, but he brought up that point of he can't understand these mega churches with lots of people. He's like, in the old, you know, uh, Hebrew groups, there are 120 people because if you're meant to be able to die for your, um, you know, to lay down your life, this is the greatest love you can show someone is to lay down your life for your brother or neighbor, you know. Uh-huh. And and how can you do this in a mega church where you don't know each other, you know? This is that that's kind of the problem, right? It's just huge. You don't know those people. And would you really lay down your life for them? Right. And 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 then so it's already big. But then like it it just blew my mind. Then on top of being a big church that I was seriously going to get out of for all these reasons, they became um, members of the Hillsong family without, you know, with no vote, nothing. It was just announced in church. And uh Everyone thought it was great, and and I thought, what? On top of being a huge, we're now going to be part of a huge, huge mega church, a corporation. I mean, it, it's just what happened to God's chosen peculiar people, a royal priesthood. You know what happened to that being this original stamp of God? Where, where is that? Uh-huh. Didn't God call this young pastor here in Norway to pastor this group of people? And why can't he just trust that? And and you know. 
read his Bible? And, I, you know, why does he need this warm wall at his back of a huge corporation from the other side of the globe? I mean, it just it got so huge that, yeah. <laughs> so I, I started, you know, really um, researching into that, like, why weren't we told? And, you uh-huh, know, right. all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, well, let me ask you this question. I mean, you know, if if the church itself was set up, uh, in in such a way that you know it was pretty much you know a weekly rock and roll show with a you know kind of a one sided not the whole truth um, sermon to go along with it. Um, you know, were there were there votes taken? You know, when they were doing that before before they were part of Hillsong. I mean, were there congregational meetings to discuss congregational issues? Did members have the right to vote to begin with? Uh, well, as I was told later uh, that, no, that's not how they run that. It is run like, um, you, 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 the leaders in charge, they make the decisions. We don't vote on things like that. Right. So, uh, uh, so the only thing they would vote on is like, like when the pastor was, uh, you know, passed on the church to his son, I think the church voted on that. Uh, huh. Uh, but I'm not, you know, yeah, would, but, but yeah, bigger stuff. No, like this, the, the leaders make this decision. So what I was told was that the the leaders pretty much made the decision, you know, this is a great idea, we should do this. And then they presented that to all the smaller leaders, like the cell group leaders and so on, uh, one month before they told the whole church. And so basically that was meant to be sort of their open table, you know, let us know and give us some feedback, what do you think? But, you know, it was presented very positively. So who's going to say this is a bad idea, you know? Right. Uh, you know, and, and certainly, I mean, they weren't going to really vote on it anyway, from what I understood. So, so yeah, it was more along the lines of here's our process of, of making yes. you aware of the decision we've right. already made. Yes. And, of yes. course, we'll we'll let you complain about it now um, and, right. you know, and express any concerns you have. But the decision was pretty much done. Yeah, that's pretty that's very much how I understood it. Okay, so um, what impact does this have then on on that megachurch? I mean, what what changed as a result of this uh, corporate merger, if you would? Um, they say that nothing uh, that nothing changed. Uh, actually, I mean, it's kind of in, I can read to you right off of I mean the Hillsong family. You can look it up on the Hillsong uh, website. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, our pastor, he was very humbled and happy to be a part of this. And, um, I mean, the Hillsong family, what they say is um, the spirit behind Hill. This is Brian Houston. The spirit behind Hillsong family is empowering rather than controlling um, with each of the churches listed below, maintaining their own name, autonomy and identity. In trying to express what this looks like, we are simply formalizing a relationship that has already been communicated through culture, behavior, and word. Each of the people listed below have expressed loyalty and honor to Bobby and I over many years, and we are so uh, excited and happy to formalize this relationship and develop the opportunities to uh, pour more of ourselves into uh, their own leadership development. Expressed loyalty and honor to Bobby Houston? What about Jesus Christ? Um, No, it's Bobby and Brian. (laughs) Okay. I mean, that's, so so basically these churches that have become so it's many churches. There's a long list of churches that have become and it basically is as they say people that have 
communicated through culture, behavior, and word. So if you are a wannabe look-alike Hillsong-type church, you will probably be contacted by Hillsong and be offered, you know, if you want to join their family. And yeah, so they say you get to keep your name, you do your finances, you have your own vision. All this means is that now Bobby and Brian will be um, pouring themselves into uh, your leadership development, whatever uh, that means. It's, it's very vague. But, so in but other words, you basically give us the keys to making sure that all of your future leaders in your congregation are formed and taught according to our leadership principles and ideas, and uh, you can keep your autonomy. Yes, exactly. I mean, like like what I noticed is, is as soon as, I mean, we already had Hillsong pastors coming to preach at conferences and stuff, yeah. but now it's like all the more so. It's like tripled, you know. They, they, the, uh, so basically, this is a great way for Hillsong to be able to circulate all of their pastors and they're up-and-coming pastors that are probably graduating from their Bible school in Sydney, um, and so on and so forth. Okay, so it, it's basically Hillsong has become a denomination. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it feels more like like uh, corporate mergers and acquisitions. It's more like, I, you know, I've, I've said this before, and I know you probably haven't heard it, but uh, you know, I'm thinking that I need to put a website together that you know that looks like one of those financial you know channels on you know on cable yeah. television and where yeah. you can see the stock price of like Saddleback Church Hillsong you know name some yeah. of the big mega churches and look at their stock prices to see if they're going up or down you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i find it yeah. fascinating in the in the world where you know supposedly we're now you know you know we're an era where we live in the non-denominational era. A non-denominational megachurch in Norway right. has found itself part of the Hillsong family of churches, which I think is yeah. just a euphemistic way of saying they've joined the Hillsong denomination. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I mean, what's the difference? I mean, okay, so you get to keep your name. It's like being a colony, you know? I mean, it's it's just... Uh, yeah, what's the difference? We speak Norwegian. That's about the difference, you know. Right. I mean, <laughs> so so if if the pastor at that church decided he you know he wanted to you know resign or go somewhere else or do something different, who then is going to make the decision as to who would be the next leader to uh, take over and run the the weekly show? Right. That would probably be uh, the church. They would still make all those decisions. Uh -huh. But if they were to ask uh, Hillsong, Hillsong would probably also offer them, hey, we have an up-and-coming pastor, you know, probably even a Norwegian that went to our school. You know, he, I mean, you know, they, they apparently they, they communicate a lot. Because uh, all of, like, I, I just wondered, like, how long is it going to be after we join till you start seeing song type material right in curriculum and like now uh, our church has the, uh, the the sisterhood they have the kingdom builders you know so they get all that material from from hillsong and and use it as well interesting so i mean if they control the leaders or who's going to be in leadership they pretty much control the message and the method of what's going to happen and all of those congregations on into perpetuity, if you know what I mean. Right, right. They say they don't, and legally they they don't. Uh huh. But you know, you know how this spiritual manipulation works. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. So do you think that was a good move for that church, or do you think that is one that is problematic and in the long run could hurt their, their, the ability for that church to disciple people? Although sounds to me like they long ago decided that they weren't going to tell people the full counsel of the Word of God. Right, right. I mean, that's what, what I just, then as I researched, I realized they'd been going this way a long time, and I, you know, I didn't realize that, but but I mean, for a long time, our pastor himself had gone to Hillsong um, Bible School, mm-hmm. and and uh, so yeah, they they sing their songs already. You know, they've hosted Hillsong when they've had concerts here in Norway. I mean, we can go on and on. I mean, they're they're already preaching the same message. So it, for them, it was great. It was like it finally formalized what you know the friendship that has been there already. Right. So. Um, and I didn't realize that it was that. I thought it was just, yeah, we sing Hillsong songs. That's about it. You know, I didn't realize how deep this went. Yeah, so you may, beware. If you're singing Hillsong songs at your mega church, <laughs> you might become a Hillsong, uh, you know, uh, part of the Hillsong denomination. Um, yeah. <laughs> which kind of you know, you know, leads to my next question. One of the things you had said is is that, you know, you felt like, you, you know, that type of church, you can really only go to that for a couple of years. Now, it sounds to me like, you know, you've found a different congregation that you can be a part of, and your Christian uh, discipleship continues to this day, although you're not part of, yes. you know, a mega church. But right. uh, uh, is that the normal story? I mean, are, do the majority of people who kind of f- flame out in this, do they end up in other churches, or are there a group of people who end up going nowhere? Um, that It would be interesting to find out a bit more, really. Okay. I mean, I think people to some degree church hop, you know, uh-huh. uh, so they'll go here a few years, there a few years, and it pretty much boils down to family and friends where you where your friendship ring is. Right. Uh, so people will jump out a few years and they'll come back. I mean, uh, because Norway is so small, there's not a whole lot of other options, and if you've once gotten used to that big mega church, maybe you can think it's really boring to go to a smaller church. You know, it's 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 a total detox program to get out of that type of right. It it does take getting used to. Um, you know, yeah. you know, because there's a lot of sensory overload in the in the yeah. mega churches. To where if you go to a you know a smaller congregation and maybe they have an right. organ or a piano. And in in a sound system that isn't all that great, and they don't have a they don't have a, a right. disco ball or a smoke yep. machine or any lasers yep. in there that you know you go in there and it's so subdued and so like normal that right. you know, that what you're used to and what you're getting there's a huge disconnect. So you said you have to kind of right. detox. How long did it take you to yeah. get used to not having a disco ball at church? Right. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, for me, this is you know, I. I was happy to be in that kind of church, but you know, all the same, I, I think it took like uh, six months, maybe. At wow! The most. But you know, for other people, I must be more. I mean, I, it's it's a total. It's like another world. <laughs> okay, so yeah. it's, so it's a distortion of reality in a in a in a sense. Yeah, I, I really think it is. I really think it is. It, it, it was unbelievable. Like when I went to the Bible camp where for the church I'm at now. I just thought, oh, wow. I mean, you know, it's just there's older people. There's little kids running around. Of course, we don't have the music cranked up. You know, it, it's like we're thinking of everybody. 
we all bring food. It's a potluck after church. Yeah. This is like how your home life is. And then I thought, like, why do people do to themselves and go to like uh, a concert church setting every Sunday? I mean, it's it's now when I, I can't even imagine going back. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how it would be very interesting to know, actually, really, if people just quit going to church altogether, because, I mean, the Lutheran church in Norway is unfortunately. Um, yeah, we, we won't we won't talk about state churches like that. They're they're Lutheran yeah. in name only. There's nothing Lutheran right, about right. them. So, yeah, but, but there is uh, they call it the Nor- uh, Norwegian Lutheran Church in exile. And that's very serious. And, yep. and they are the real thing. Yep. And, uh, you know, the. That I would be more akin to those guys. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're they're very serious, very uh, very good church. But that's like one church. I mean, there are very few here and there in Norway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's always a lot of danger when you end up having a church that is uh, funded by the state and via you know mandatory taxation. Yeah, because then yeah. then the state has a say into you know who can be your pastors and things like that. Right. You know, right. You, you mix church and state, and you end up losing the right. church. I mean, it's just yeah. you know it just happens that way. So, um, yeah. But that's that's probably a, another conversation for another time. But, right. 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 But yeah. um, yeah. So you know, <laughs> so you know, here you are now going to a church with no frills, where people love each other. You actually know some people with gray hair, and. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no concert, and and I'm assuming that the, the church itself, the service is not designed to be a performance, but is designed to do something else. Exactly. I mean, we we all bring our Bibles. Everyone turns to the scripture. Uh, you know, there's no flashed up on a screen. You know, one pop verse for the whole message. I mean, you know, it's very serious, and we have a testimonial time where anyone can get up and share something from the Bible and uh, or sing a song and it's actually kind of a a church of people that have come out of a conservative sect and very hyper charismatic churches so it is kind of one of those churches where we all kind of found each other (laughs) okay (laughs) kind of another another church in exile if you would you know you know so it's is in a sense kind of of like a recovery group you know (laughs) You know, yeah, we're, we're. I mean, we have one family there that that went to the Todd Bentley. Oh no! Oh yes, so oh, I mean, like, oh wow, they might have been here. They went to Toronto. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a real it's a real mix. Okay, so you're you're a church and a twelve step program for those recovering <laughs> from things. Got it. <laughs> Yeah. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, and uh, I haven't been to a mega church in a year and a half. Oh, way to go, Elizabeth! Yeah, congratulations. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so I I think you're asking the right questions, Elizabeth. And that's... you know, and I and I found your articles to be very helpful in that sense because. You, you know, you were somebody who's lived it, and you weren't. You're not. You're not some PhD in theology. Although that's a great thing to have. Um, and I'm right. not. I'm not saying that's bad. But it. You know, you provide a perspective of. You know, from somebody who is a layperson, who's you know yes. experienced kind of all of the awkwardness of this, and yes. and you're basically asking. You know, is this really the right model for? Making disciples and having long, you know, teach you know, teaching people the Christian faith in a way that can help them have a deep, deeper understanding of Scripture, a, a more 
uh, you know, how do I say it, a deeper appreciation for Christ's sacrifice on the cross, yes, and, a, yes. and a Christianity that, um, and in light of what Christ has done, encourages us to take up our cross, and even yes. to the point of suffering and maybe even being martyred or persecuted yes. for uh, for our confession of faith. I wonder if the megachurches in the long run, if, if Christianity is persecuted outright, um, it, will there be a long list of martyrs from Hillsong? <laughs> right. Um, it's a good question. And I think, once again, it, it's so huge that you you just lose touch. In, in a smaller group, like, I'm much more held accountable. People know if I'm not, you know what I mean? If I if, it, if things aren't going well, they yep. would ask, that, you know what I mean? But, but yeah, in a big church, I mean, you can fake it till you make it. I mean, it's it's just... Yeah. Who's going to hold you accountable? And yeah, and I and I really felt that if persecution and it is sure to come, um, yeah, I don't think I would be prepared if I continued in this church. Right. Yeah. And that makes sense. You know, um, I, I you know I pastor a small congregation, and um, you know if somebody doesn't show up to church, I mean. I mean, no joke. I mean, I don't even have to call. They're going to be getting calls from other people in the congregation <laughs> to make sure they're okay. Right, you, you right. Know, you know, you know, if if Miss Sally doesn't show up to church and she isn't sitting in her pew, you know, then Miss right. Sally's going to get a phone call as soon as the yeah. as soon as the service is over. And if Miss Sally's not feeling well, no no sooner is church over that somebody's over at their house making sure she's getting fed and being taken care of. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when you were at the mega church, if you didn't show up, did you get a phone call from anybody or a, from a pastor? You know, concerned about you, making sure everything was okay. I mean, not even my own cafe team uh, noticed if I was there or not. Wow. I mean, you know, I mean, toward the end, I just came because I, I wanted to fulfill my duties. So I, I filled, you know, finished the term in the cafe. But even my cafe leader didn't ask. And I know he knew. He, like, I only came the Sundays I had duty. And then I would sit out in the cafe and, and not go in for the service. He never asked. Never asked. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know. Wow. So I, he finally, you know, and then he, he calls in the summer, you know, to see if you're going to be on for the kids' summer conference thing. Are you going to help out with that? And then I just had to break it to him, you know, that I, I'm sorry, but now I'm like, I'm quit. And this is why and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, yeah, nobody asked. Huh. Okay, so okay, you just kind of get lost in the system. Then, even if you're helping out, so how much free labor did they uh, did they get from you? Um, wow, I I I served at least once a month, and then once in a while it would be other other, you know. But like I say, it was five to seven hours each time. Uh huh. And then others would be sick, and I would be the kind they would call, you know. So I would take right. extra days, and and but yeah, I mean, it's nothing compared to what people that do the sound system the hours they put in, unbelievable. <laughs> and for free? Oh yeah. Oh wow. And you know, and you do it because it's service for God, and 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 you know, I also did it with with joy for the Lord. I mean, you know, when it's like in the long run, you're like, who am I helping? Like, how does this help anybody? How? You know what I mean? My cafe team leader don't even know if I come to church or not. And people have to pay for this stuff anyway. It, you, after a while, I was just like, this is such a waste of my, you know, time service to the Lord, you know? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> right. So you you didn't even feel like at the end of the day that your contribution had any impact towards you know people right. being brought to faith in Christ. Right. I mean, you're meant to feel like you're part of that whole team, and, and uh -huh. yeah, we have those meetings, but but yeah, no, I no, it's just. I think it's awful. It's just awful. Okay. Yeah, it, well, it sounds like they, they got quite a bit of uh, free labor out of you as well as others. Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, which, you know, that, that poses a whole other ethical question altogether. But, um, yeah, okay. Well, Elizabeth, I want to thank you for your time. Your, your, your insights and your experience are fascinating. And it was uh, it was a pleasure to talk with you, and I'm very happy to hear that you've found a, a congregation where you know you can open up your Bible and uh, you know the people, and uh, they know you and care about you, and uh, and that you're being discipled yeah. in a way that you feel is meaningful as yeah. a Christian. So, and uh, we will pray for the people who uh, are at these uh, mega churches. That if your theory is right, that that may be a good place to start out. That they, you know, they go from preschool to actual, you know, elementary school or high school, and and find a congregation that is age appropriate for their discipleship age, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. All right. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So, what'd you think? Kind of interesting stuff. Again, her articles are, are at uh, fightingforthefaith.com. If you want to read them, you can do so. Find today's episode. It's the uh, Monday, July 27th, 2015 uh, episode of Fighting for the Faith. And then they'll take the links over to uh, Hillsong Church Watch so that you can read her articles. Fascinating insider view. And I think many of the things that she pointed out is the dangers and kind of the shortcomings of this so-called model were quite fascinating. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>